Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. Don't yawn. Stop. I can't help it. I needed some breath. Well, you're gonna. No, it's unacceptable. Because now I'm gonna yawn. Well, I'm suppressing it. Don't do it, or I'll have to do it again, and then we'll never stop. <sighs> Yeah, well, at least you know I'm not a, what's it called? I'm not sure. A psycho or a sociopath. No, um, it's like when you only care about yourself. A narcissist? Yeah, I think it's like a narcissist doesn't yawn because they don't have empathy. Interesting. Well, see, I just don't know. I don't know how, I don't know. I just feel like. I don't, when you yawn, I don't have empathy for the fact that you yawn. It just happens. I think it's like subconsciously you have empathy. Don't say it. Think your dog will yawn when you yawn? I don't know. I need to test it. Mm, I would test it definitely with your dog because your dog has shifty eyes. Yeah. So it, it would really help you learn a lot. Yeah. He yawns a lot. And when he yawns, he does the. He makes a noise, so every, every time he yawns, I'll go, can I get a hi? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my dog does like a little like. <laughs> yeah, Tex gets really into it. I'm not sure why. Um, he loves to stretch and yawn because he's a lazy little dude. You know, we talked about this today at work. Why? Like, is it a thing when you, like, stretch that you have to make, like, a, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, some sort of, you know, like, everybody makes some sort of groaning oh, noise. Yeah. Or, like, when your dad sits down, oh, they make, like, a dad yeah. noise. Like, a, <laughs> Yeah, that's just dad noises. They are, when I was home for Christmas, I heard dad noises from all the men in my life. Uh, especially my father-in-law. He loves to make dad noise. <laughs> Well, he does, he do be a father. Yes, that's very true. And a grandfather. And a great-grandfather. So, I guess the, the further you get down the father train, the noises just become a lot more frequent. If we're with each generation, <laughs> they just get more more deep. Yeah. But this this is not a podcast about dad noises no. or great granddad noises or great great granddad noises uh this is a podcast called this is gonna sound weird and each week we talk about each week we talk about a topic um about all things true crime paranormal and everything in between i am one of your hosts sydney who is evidently learning to speak today um and i'm your other host taylor who um not sure if i can speak today the jury's still out all right. Well, only time will tell. Um, Taylor, what is our theme for this week? Um, you know, it was new crime. You know, like New Year's crimes, maybe. Crimes that have had something new happen recently. Mm-hmm. Something like that, you know? New- I entitled my New Year New Crime. I just titled my New Year's Crime. So, very creative on my part. Yes, it was. Um, mine was a little bit more basic, you know, all those people who put on Facebook, oh, new year, new me, 
But they're the same old bitch. Yeah. I, uh, Brandon kept asking me my New Year's resolution. I have none. Um, I am going to start, and this is so basic, um, but I'm doing it because I've been listening to this book on, like, health anxiety because sometimes it just gets the better of me and it's working on me. So the lady said to write a gratitude journal, just of, like, sincere things that you're grateful for that kind of will make you, she says it's part of her, um, what's that called? Like, exposure therapy is part that she does with her patients. So as stupid as it sounds for me, and I know a lot of people do it, but it's just not my vibe, you know? But I'm going to write in it. I bought Mm -hmm. a journal. Uh, I went to Barnes & Noble and got one that says, uh, hold on, I'll show it to Sydney. It says... Uh, shiitake happens on it and it's got uh mushrooms <laughs> it does happen um, i just thought it was kind of cute um and very basic but you know what i got it how long will i write in it i don't know probably a day <laughs> i used to do that in college i like hyper fixated on journaling and i would do that i would you know do it for like a good solid week and then I'd be like, oh, that was fun. I know. I'm trying to stick with it. I'm going to pretend like this lady's my therapist and she has told me to do this. And I have actually taken some of her, like, strategies on other things. Like, I had to go to the doctor recently and I, like, ha- took some of her strategies with me. And I'll tell you what, my blood pressure was normal at the doctor. Like, I'm saying 110 over something. When I go to the doctor, my blood pressure skyrockets to, like, 140 over something. So, you know, it worked there for me. So I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep rocking with her. All right. Best of luck with your journaling. Thank you. Um, you let me know how it goes. Let me know if your health anxiety is cured. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't have a I don't have a New Year's resolution. Um, the only thing I can say is that we are having um, like a frugal month, like frugal January. So. We're not going out to eat or anything. Don't ask me to do anything. We are broke. Um, we got to get our. We got to start the year off right. Pay off. Pay off some of the Christmas debts. Mm-hmm. You know, put some money in savings. Um, I have been making a lot of bread in my bread maker. So um, looked good. So I'll. It is re- actually really good bread. So uh, I made a cinnamon bread. I made a regular bread. And, um, I, you know what? I'll make, make you some bread. I also made fresh butter. Um, so now I have fresh made butter. I make salted and roasted garlic butter. It was delicious. And now I have some buttermilk. So I'll make biscuits this weekend. Hell yeah. I made biscuits last week and we didn't have no milk. I was like about to start making dinner and I was like, dear God, we have no milk. How am I going to make these biscuits? I'm not going to the store. And I was like, you know what? I looked it up and it was like, you can use water. And I was like, this will probably go terribly, but I'm going to try it. So, you know, it's homemade biscuits. It wasn't like a package mix or whatever. So I started making them and I put water in them. And uh, I fed them to Brandon and I didn't tell them anything. They looked a little different. They looked a little more pale than usual. He couldn't tell the difference. They were actually mm-hmm. pretty good biscuits. So if you ain't got no milk, just throw your little water in there. Uh... And it'll work. It'll get the job done. Mm-hmm. Just covering it in lots of butter. Yeah. yeah. So, which that's just a different type of milk. That's that's very true. Yeah, I still yeah I had a, a stick of butter, so that was the key. I figured out that butter really is the key to your good biscuits. It's really the key to any southern food. 
This is true. Um, I've just I've discovered that you can make anything taste good. A little bit of garlic and a little bit of butter. This is true. This is true. Um, but besides, you know, our New Year's resolutions, let's talk about our new crimes. I believe I went first last week, so Taylor should be going this week. Um, would you please go ahead and tell me about the crime that has happened? I will. So, these are my sources for my crime. Patch.com, an article by Carly Baldwin. Foxnews.com, an article by Caitlin Schallhorn. App.com, an article by Kathleen Hopkins of the Ashbury Park Press. And InvestigationDiscovery.com. So, <coughs> okay, I just choked on my own spit. I'm gonna get some water before we continue this story. The suspense is killing you all. Oh. oh, God. I do not have one of those Stanley cups. I'm still a hydroflask bitch. It's okay. I've been rocking the Starbucks little frappuccino cup with the straw because I like it and I have decided that if I'm gonna drink water I have to switch up my cups every few weeks um this really this water bottle really is my support emotionally I carry it everywhere with me so uh, I couldn't find it the other day and I got real stressed out I do not like to drink yeah, water I just, out of any other vessel I can't really be drinking water out of my hydro flask at work. It's too heavy. It makes too much noise. And my office is too quiet. I get anxiety from it. So I, yeah, I feel that. I opt for a slightly, a slightly quieter vessel. I feel that. Okay. Now I'm ready after that uh, short, short uh, break. So. <laughs> Welcome back. At around 11.43 p.m. on December 21st, 2017. So New Year's Eve. The Monmouth County Sheriff's Office um, of Monmouth, New Jersey, responded to a report of shots fired. These shots came from the Cologie family home in Land Branch, New Jersey. So when the police responded to the home, they found four people dead inside, and all of the people had been shot, and they were all located in various spots throughout the home. So the victims that were found in the home were Stephen Cologie, and I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's K-O-L-O-G-I. So it, I would say Kologi. Kologi? Kologi. Okay. okay. So he was 44. Linda Kologi, 42. Brittany Kologi, 18. And Mary Schultz, 70. So Stephen and Linda were married. And they were the parents of Brittany. And Mary Schultz was an acquaintance of the family and was also um, pro... They had never said she was a girlfriend, but they called her a partner, essentially, for the grandfather of the family. So, there were okay. two people at the home, though, um, at the time of the shooting, that were unharmed. And they were a brother named Stephen and the grandfather. So, these two were able to escape the home unharmed. There was also, though, another member of the family that was at the home and was still alive. And his name was Scott Kologi. He was the 16-year-old son of Stephen and Linda and brother to Brittany and Stephen, um, the other brother. So, when the police arrived to the scene, they found Scott at the scene. and They immediately arrested him and charged him with four counts of first-degree murder. So, who is Scott and what the heck happened here? Well, as I said, Scott was the son of Stephen and Linda 
And honestly, based on the research, there wasn't much about him before the incident. Um, but there is a decent bit of information known about the immediate lead up to the incident and how he carried out the murders. So, according to the investigation, it was discovered that before the murders, Scott had been researching whether a certain type of semi-automatic rifle would be effective against a bulletproof vest. And during the shootings, Mm -hmm. he used, some sources said an AK-47, some said another type of semi-automatic weapon, but either way, it was a high-powered rifle and it actually belonged to his older brother, the one who had escaped during the attacks. So the day of the murders, the Kologis were having a New Year's Eve party. And during this party is when Scott went on his rampage. So first, he lured his mother, Linda, upstairs into his room. And when she got up there, his room was dark. And once Linda entered his room, he shot her. When he heard this, Stephen, who was the father and Linda's husband, ran upstairs to see what was going on. When the father came into the room, Scott shot and killed him. After this, Scott apparently walked around his parents' bodies and then walked downstairs to, quote, casually murder his sister, Brittany, who was home on winter break from her freshman year at college. And then he shot Mary Schultz. So, I just, I don't even, like, what the heck. So... Scott told detectives that I guess he was in some sort of daze while he was doing all this. And he apparently snapped out of his daze and stopped shooting when he saw his grandfather. And his grandfather saw Scott shoot Schultz, which was his longtime partner or girlfriend. And Mm -hmm. after that, um, Scott stopped shooting. He went upstairs and waited for the police to come. And apparently he and his grandfather had a pretty close relationship, so I don't know if that's why he didn't shoot him, but he didn't. So, in the end, Scott fired 14 rounds, and 12 of those 14 shots hit his victims and resulted in their deaths. Which, to me, I'm like, dang. I mean, I'm not great with a gun. I don't, like, you know, I've shot a gun before, but that seems pretty accurate to me to only shire fired like 14 shots and 12 of them actually hit the people yeah um i don't know i mean maybe he was more proficient there isn't really much about him um maybe being proficient with a gun or not but wild which also too i mean his mother i doubt she you know she probably wasn't moving around and trying to get away because she didn't know what's going on um and probably everybody was just confused So, once Scott was taken in by the police, um, they conducted an interview of him, and they conducted it around 3.14 a.m. on New Year's Day of 2018. And during this interview, I've, uh, have down some things that he said, and this came from Patch.com. So, this is Scott speaking first. Quote, I knew what I, I knew I was doing it. I I just felt like it wasn't me. Then the detective, but yet you knew what you were doing. Yes, said Scott. Were you hearing any voices, seeing things when this happened? Um, Scott said no. And then they said, did you hear any voices that said to do it? Visions? And he was like, no, no. So I guess they were trying to like see maybe if he had any mental illness or if he was going to try to blame it on Mm -hmm. that. Um, And then they were like, did you ever think of killing somebody else? And he said, yes. And they said, what stopped you from doing that? And he was like, I don't know. 
I was way too tired. I doubt I'd do it again, but I'm not sure. So he's like, I don't know. I was too tired. I doubt I'd, you know, kill anybody again, but I don't know. Like, just, I don't even know. It just sounds kind of, eh, what is it, cavalier? Yeah, he's like, well, I mean, I probably won't kill anymore. Kind of like, laissez-faire. Yeah. And then they said, when you saw your grandpa, did you make the decision to not shoot him and why? And she was like, did you snap out of it? And he was just like, I don't know. I was confused. And then they just went on and they were like, you know, you're a smart guy, blah, blah, blah. And so it's just kind of like, I don't know. It almost seems like to me that you can watch the interview. I didn't watch the interview. Maybe I should have. But it just kind of seems like he's not even really like, he's not grasping what happened, clearly. Um, And he wasn't saying much. Yeah. And now I found this part odd, and I don't know if this is because Scott was a minor and his brother had to, like, be his guardian almost since his parents were dead at this point. So, because, you know, when a minor gets interviewed by the police, they, like, have the right to have, I'm pretty sure, you know, like an adult present with them, like a guardian or something. So Mm -hmm. Stephen, who was the brother who survived the attack, um, he was in the interview room while Scott was being interviewed. But his older brother was only, like, in his 20s. Um, But he was, you know, acting pretty protective over Scott during the incident. I mean, during the interview. But he would get visibly upset once Scott started talking about shooting their parents. Um, And, like, one point during the interview, Scott said, I just kept firing until they, like, stopped moving. I would aim at their head and whatnot. Yeah, when I saw they were still moving. Because, like, even though I was in this type of thing, I didn't want them to be in pain at the same time. So... It's just not making sense. I mean, not that a person who just murdered their family should make sense. Um, yeah, but he also just kind of says things very matter-of-factly. Yeah. Like, I, I kept shooting them because of this yeah. reason. And so the whole thing was obviously very upsetting to Stephen, the older brother. And at one point, the detectives took Scott to the bathroom during the interview. And at that point, Stephen broke down sobbing, his head in his hands. And then he, like, got up and threw something across the table. And so, obviously, it was just a whole mess. Um, So the murder trial did not actually start. So this happened in 2017. The murder trial began in February of 2022. So at that time, Scott was 20 years old. And at the trial, they depicted Scott as a lonely teenage boy who only had a few friends. He didn't have a driver's license. They were like, he didn't have a girlfriend, but he wanted one. Just, you know, kind of a loner. And they also said he apparently would still sleep in his parents' bed at the age of 16, which I'm like, I don't really know what that has to do with you killing your parents. Because to me, that would seem like, oh, you like your parents. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, it. Uh, uh, we don't like, and I think maybe we just think very logically. We're like, oh, well, if you're sleeping in the same bed as your parents, you must yeah. like them, you know. But maybe not. It must have some. It might have something to do with some sort of, you know, psychology of, oh, well, this, you yeah. know, you know how people like form like unhealthy relationships with their parents, yeah. and it makes it seem like it's like really like. On that side, like, oh, they're so close. And then you're like, yeah. ooh. Well, I can't relate. I never slept with my parents. Um, I did not like sleeping with people. They didn't want me sleeping with them. And Brandon, he slept with his parents as a little kid. Um, but he was also an only child. But he slept with his parents until he was, like, 
I don't know, maybe almost in middle school, maybe not that far. Sorry, Brandon. But I just find it so weird. I'm always like, that's so weird. Why would you do that? But I guess more people do it than I think. I just never did it. Um, I definitely slept with my parents for a decent amount of time. But also, they had a TV in their room. So I would be like, oh, mom, can we leave the TV? I don't want to fall asleep. I'd lay with one eye closed so she would think that I was asleep and I'd have the other <laughs> eye over watching TV. I don't know why I never did. I mean, I don't know. I, get, I mean, we had like five kids, so maybe they were just like, no, if one of y'all tries to sleep with us, then you're all going to try to sleep with us. So, no. Maybe. Couldn't say. My mom also didn't like Couldn't sleep say. with maybe me they just, Maybe they I just don't. Maybe they just don't like maybe you. Maybe not. Maybe not. Even when I was like sick, I wouldn't get in my parents' bed. One of them would come to me. Um, couldn't say. You know, when you had to go in the room. I threw up. I, I threw, threw up. up. Where? All over the garbage. <laughs> Everywhere. Everywhere. Oh. Um, but back to Scott. So, he's up in his parents' bed. I don't know. You can think it's weird or not. Let us, let us know on the social medias if that's weird. Um... It's also reported that he said he wanted to go to college to study plants or behavioral psychology or even join the military. So they were just, I guess, trying to paint a picture of him. Mm -hmm. um, and the defense also said that Scott was facing mental health issues. They even, like, tried to say that he was in the beginning stages of schizophrenia. But I don't think they ever, like, proved that for sure. But that was definitely their angle. I don't necessarily think they were trying to get an insanity defense. But they were definitely trying to show that, like, he wasn't really in his right mind at the time. But the prosecution put on investigators who said that Scott knew right from wrong. And he even talked about how, you know, he showed this by... He was nervous when he was loading the magazines for the shooting. Kind of showing that you know, he knew that this obviously wasn't the right thing to do. Why would you be nervous if you were just like, whatever? Um, and now this was interesting. Because one source said that before the killing, Scott had actually confided in his mother that he felt a desire to shoot his parents and the rest of the family. And it's also reported that he asked his mother multiple times if he could talk to a therapist about his, quote, bad thoughts. And she told him no. And now one of the sources gave, like, a sentence. She was like, no, because of blah, blah, blah. But I don't really know if the statement's true. And it kind of was not a very nice statement. And if it's not true, I don't want to repeat it because the mother is a victim. So, essentially, she said that. Um, but I don't know. Like, I just don't know if he actually was, like, told his mom that he wanted to shoot his parents. That seems... I don't know. That seems odd, right? If they wouldn't do anything, or maybe they just thought he was. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> why would you say that to yeah, your parents? Yeah, I think. I think if he was like, "Hey, I am having thoughts about killing you," and she didn't take it seriously, then I'm like, "That's crazy." But I'm also like, was he explicitly like, "I want to kill you"? These are my thoughts, or was he just like, "I'm having like." these really messed up thoughts like I'm not right you know because yeah. then it's not okay but I, it would be a little more understandable about them being like oh okay you know because I feel like a lot of times parents you know th they're weary about putting their child in like therapy because of the stigma or whatnot yeah but I don't know yeah Act but then I'm also like is it just 
is it, is he just saying this? Yeah, I like, do. We have proof yeah, about. Yeah, I don't this? even know where the, exactly that came from, which is why I'm like, hmm. Like this story, um, while there wasn't a lot on it, there was a lot of information in a bunch of different places. So I'm sure I didn't piece it together great, but I pieced it together as much as I could. Now, it's also said though that there was an aunt that lived in the home named Michelle Molyneux, Molyneux, um, who lived in the basement. Um, and she said that she had previously heard Scott say that he wanted to kill his family members. And that quote, he didn't want to hurt anybody, but he said someday he might have to. From, n- n- from NJ.com. And so another thing what I'm curious about, you know, obviously none of us are in this home. We don't know what's going on. But what if, you know, he was like a kid who got kind of like a little, you know, violent. And maybe if he got in a fight with his parents, what if he even yelled something like, I just want to kill all y'all. You know, like, I don't want to, I just wish y'all would die or something like that. And, like, if, if it was said like that, then maybe the family wouldn't have done anything because they're just like, oh, he's just being, like, I don't know, a, a bratty kid, which is possible. Um, so, I don't know. But Scott's defense attorney tried to argue that Scott was and is severely mentally ill and that he is not a cold-blooded killer. But the prosecution held firm that he knew exactly what he was doing and the acts that he carried out were truly evil. So Scott ended up being found guilty for all four murders and sentenced to 150 years in state prison. Superior Court Judge Mark C. Lemieux imposed the term and called him an evil man. The judge ordered Scott to serve 85% of the term, which is over 127 years, before even being considered for release on parole. So, he will never make it out. He will die in prison. Um, The judge said that, quote, the intention of this court is that the defendant never see the light of the outside of the jail cell ever again. And the judge said, I hope one day you realize the magnitude of what you've done here. So during the sentencing, it was like a days-long sentencing. Scott showed no emotion. They said a lot of times he would be looking down. He wasn't really paying attention, which is interesting if you watch, like, children. Which he wasn't a child at the time. He was 20. But I don't, you know, when you watch younger people or even just some people in court, like, they'll have their head down, they'll do this, and their attorneys will have to, like, continually be like, put your head up, you know, don't act like you don't care about what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Um, So he was doing that, it sounded like. Um, But during the sentencing, relatives of the victims were able to speak. One of Mary Schultz's siblings said that she believed that her sister actually would have wanted Scott to get the death penalty. And she said that he needed to suffer adult consequences for his heinous acts. Other siblings also came in and spoke about how great of a person Mary was and... Other people had said that this crime was not something that was ever expected to happen in this family. Um, The family was known to be caring and loving, and the parents would do fun things with their children. And Brittany, you know, she was a freshman in college. She was studying health sciences, and she had so much ahead of her. And obviously, along with the victims that were murdered, there were also victims that were still alive, which included Scott's older brother, this grandfather, and they say that they still have to deal with the mental and emotional scars of these awful crimes today. But Scott's in prison forever. And that is the story of Scott Kologi killing his whole family. 
and I don't really know why. I never saw a real motive behind why. Yeah. And, I mean, hopefully, seeing as this case happened so recently, yeah. you know, it could be it could be one of those situations where, you know, it has a bad outcome now, but then, you know, hopefully, I mean, you know, it, it might be one of those situations where we get more clarity, you know, as time goes on. Yeah. <clears throat> hopefully. And now that he's... Hopefully he's getting... Been sentenced, he might start talking. Um, cause, you know, obviously, before the sentencing, I mean, he went... Because he went to trial. He didn't plead guilty or anything. So, obviously, he wasn't going to come out and talk about it to the public about why he did this. Um, because he, you know, didn't... The, his lawyers would not have advised that. So... Maybe he might say, also, there may not be a reason, and he might actually have some sort of actual, you know, mental illness that makes it to where he had no motive. He just did it, and that was it. Yeah. And maybe he'll get, like, some sort of counseling, too, that he didn't get before. I don't know. The case is still young. I mean... Things could happen. That's what you get when we get new a new crime. This is a New Year's crime and kind of a new crime. When I started researching it, I did not realize that he, uh, you know, didn't go to trial and everything until 2022. Apparently, the, the trial was live streamed. I don't know if it's recorded anywhere, but it was live streamed at the time. Well, I, I didn't watch it, but we all know that the only court case I was watching in 2022 was the Amber Johnny Depp. Oh, God. That's, oh, Lord. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my story. Kind of a bummer. Sorry. Mm. I mean, that's just sort of how the cookie yeah. crumbles. I guess murder's always kind of a bummer. No, not kind of. It yeah. is always a terrible bummer. Mm. Yeah, I would say so. But... Um, I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I'll probably bum you out with my next story. Yeah. But, uh, I'm gonna go on with it. So, this week I'm doing my story on the murder of Katie Autry. So, I only had one source, and it was... Midwest Crime Files. I don't think I've ever heard of that. The the case or uh, my source? The website or whatever it is. sounds. It sounded interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, take... I'm glad that I could supply you with a new source. Um, (laughs) Give them a gander. But let's get into it. So, Melissa Katie Autry was... Sorry... Melissa is her her name. Um, her name is Melissa mm. K. Autry, but she was better known as Katie. And she was born okay. on May 10th, 1984 in Kentucky. And she spent most of her childhood in foster care, but still she excelled in school, was pretty active in extracurriculars, and upon graduating in 2002, she planned on attending Western Kentucky University. 
And in her first year at WKU, Katie decided to emancipate herself from the foster care system. And there wasn't, too, I didn't get too much on why exactly she wanted to do this other than she wanted more independence. Um, I think she still had a fairly good relationship with her foster family. Um, but because she was no longer a foster child, she no longer qualified for the financial benefits that came with being a foster child because mm. being in the foster system, she had her college paid for. So because of this, she lost her funding and in order to cover tuition she switched to just being a part-time student so that she could spend her extra time working to pay for school. Now like any college student Katie frequented parties and kind of in the article that I read they kind of tried to color her as like a party girl but I don't think that's necessarily the case as much as she was a 18, 19 year old. Like, yeah, you're going to get in parties. You're going to get drunk sometimes, you know? Um, yeah, almost um, not every girl in college, but many, many gals in college um, could be considered party girls because uh, they go to parties Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe Sunday, maybe even Wednesday. It's just what you yeah. do in college. Did you have a sip um, of beer? In college, congratulations, you're a party girl. Did yeah, you wear much. did you wear a cute like, outfit to a tailgate? Party girl. Party girl. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much. Um, but she frequented parties and she began a relationship with a fellow student named Maurice. However, Maurice wasn't really interested in getting into a serious relationship with Katie. He actually had a girlfriend out of town. Yeah. Mm. And on Saturday, May 3rd, 2003, Katie and her roommate, Danica Johnson, excuse me, Danica Jackson, pre-gamed and headed to a frat party. When they arrived, Katie saw Maurice and the two got into a fight after he refused to dance with her. And Katie was asked to leave the party because she was kind of causing a scene. She was getting upset, you know. I imagine, you know, who hasn't cried at a frat party while drunk? You know, it just um, happens. Yeah, I don't know if I've cried, but, you know, I've we've all done our fair share <laughs> of things. Yeah. So, she's asked to leave, and the fraternity gets a pledge to drive her home. Which is a mm. common thing. Lots of people do this. If you're a pledge... You just, that's just that, yeah. the way the cookie crumbles. You have to do designated driver duty. Yeah, it's a, it's a safety mm -hmm. mechanism, mm -hmm. essentially. And at around 2.30, Danica called to check on Katie. And Katie answered the phone, and she said she was lying in bed. She had gotten home, but there was a guy in her room, and she was scared. So, Ooh. she said that she didn't know who the guy was and she handed the phone to him and the voice on the other line let Danica know that he had driven Katie home from the party and was making sure she was okay before he left 
and for some reason, this phone call did not concern Danica, and she told Katie that she would just see her in the morning, which, like, I can't, we'll get to it. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I feel like I have heard this story, but I have no idea yeah. how it uh, So, about an hour and a half later, the fire alarm in Katie's dorm went off. And if you lived on a college campus, you know this is not unusual. There's a lot of times when there would be random fire drills in the middle of the night. I actually, I can't remember. I think it was one of my friends from high school knew someone. No, it's one of our friends, mutual friends, Rebecca. She knew oh, someone yes. who in the middle of a fire drill, fell down the stairs and broke her leg. I think she might have broken both of her legs. Well, um, one of the gals in my sweet freshman year didn't break her leg, but she fell down the stairs during a fire drill and at least sprained her ankle. And I'm pretty sure everybody left her there and just kept on going. And we lived on the 10th floor. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough out here. Dangerous. But... It happens a lot. It could be anything from a fire drill. It could yeah. be another student smoking weed. You know, you just get used to it. So, yeah. no one really thinks anything out of the ordinary, and the building just clears out. Everyone's waiting outside in the middle of the night, waiting for the all clear from the fire department. However, when firefighters entered the building to locate the source of the fire, they found Katie. She was lying on her bed, beaten and burned. She had a shirt wrapped around her face and another piece of fabric was wrapped around the sprinkler system. She had severe burns to her chest and genital area and a hairspray can was found next to her. And investigators discovered that alcohol gel had been placed inside of her in an attempt to eliminate any evidence of sexual assault. What is alcohol gel? I'm assuming that that's like hand sanitizer? Oh, yeah. Or, like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I didn't know quite what it was. When did this 2002. happen? 2002. Oh. Oh. Weird. Maybe it is hand yeah. I mean, I get the concept of what it is. I've just never heard of it described that way. Um, yeah, maybe. But she was transported to Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee, and Katie's burns were so severe that her nerve endings had been destroyed, which, this sounds bad, but that probably was for the better for her, so she didn't suffer in so much pain. True. However, her injuries were too severe, and she ended up passing away three days later on May 7th, 2003. Mm. So, police first suspect was Katie's roommate, Danica. The two roommates were always together, so it just sort of seemed odd that she wouldn't go back with Katie after the party. And Danica explained that she had gone home with another friend that night, but she told authorities about the phone call she had with Katie that night. And listen, I ain't trying to put the blame on the roommate, but I'm just saying everyone if your friend goes home, make sure they have a buddy. 
I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying you yeah. have to be the one to go home with them, but have a buddy that you trust. Yeah. And that's when I was like a freshman in college, at least, or on a lot of time throughout college. Most of the time, the reason that I would not go out like freshman year, I didn't go out really because I didn't have any close friends that I like trusted um, because I was just worried that they were going to leave me there. Like my roommate went out all the time, but I knew she left people all the time or she would leave them at a party. And I was not a party girl. I've never been a party girl, but I did not party in high school. So I had no idea what to do if I got no, left. Especially at, oh. so we went to NC State and all of the houses where the parties were, were actually pretty far from campus. So it's not like it would have been a yeah. quick walk. Uh, no, the first party I tried to go to, um, it was, we had no idea where we were. And also don't get into the car with strangers, people. If you're going to college for the first time, don't get into the car with a stranger. I've gotten to a car with a stranger one time, unless it's an Uber. And I, it was, it was awful. It was awful. Don't do it. Thank don't. you. And please learn from Taylor. I mean, she lived, but it could have been, oh my God. it was close. Yeah, we got, they were at a food line. It see, I was smart that night because we got turned down from a party, right? And uh, my roommate said it was because we were ugly. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but we were next to a food line. And so in my smart mind, I said, while we figure out what we're going to do, let's go wait in the food line because there's lights. And so we, there will be lights. Um, and then we ended up getting to the car with a stranger. I tried to be responsible. Mm. Wow. You failed, but you're alive today. Yeah. I am. And I am... Uh, I don't go to parties no more. I just sit at home and do nothing. <laughs> it's better that way. Save yeah. money that way too, people. Frugal, frugal <laughs> January, everyone. Yep. Police started looking into the designated driver that had driven Katie home that night, but he denied knowing what happened to Katie after he dropped her off at his, uh, he just said that, you know, he dropped her off at the dorm and that was it. However, he did share that Katie was not the only person in the vehicle that night. According to the driver, his friend Stephen Souls was with him that night. Stephen had gone with friends to the party, but was super drunk, passed out in the back of the car, and after Katie was dropped off at her dorm, Stephen told his friend that he wanted to, quote, holla at her and got out of the car. That's what he said. The slang coming out of your mouth just <laughs> didn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like when your parents try to, uh, like, say some slang. <laughs> yeah, honestly, now I feel like I can't even say Absolutely slang these not. days. I, f- I sound I sound yeah. silly. I hate to cramp somebody's style. I cramp my own style on a daily basis. Same. So, when police brought Stephen in for questioning, he claimed that he and Katie had been messing around in the back of the car. He claimed that he had gone upstairs and they had consensual sex. However, each time Stephen was asked to tell his story, it would change. Eventually, he told authorities that he did not hurt Katie, but he knew who had. He said that his friend Lucas Godrum had shown up to Katie's room that night. There, 
He attacked her violently, and Katie fought back, and he claimed he watched Lucas torture and kill Katie. Lucas was 21-year-old who did not go to the university, and he had already been accused by his ex-wife of abuse. The day before Katie was attacked, Lucas had been arrested for domestic violence against his current girlfriend and Lucas's stepfather. Uh, this is kind of this is going to sound a little funny. He his stepfather was the heir to the famous jo- Dollar General stores. <laughs> Damn. North Carolina, we love a Dollar General. It's always located right next to a food lion. Yep. Um, And and maybe a Subway. Yep. So, you know, being that he was the heir to this fortune, uh, his family had a lot of money, and therefore, Lucas was able to often get bailed out for the shit he got himself in. But Lucas admitted to seeing Katie at the party that night, but denied going to her dorm that night. In fact, the RA at another dorm said that Lucas was in the lobby of another building around 2.30 a.m. that morning, the same time as the phone call between Katie and her roommate. His father and stepmother also said that he was at home before the fire alarm sounded at 4 a.m., providing him an alibi. Mm -hmm. The DNA found inside Katie came back, and despite the use of the, quote, alcohol gel, the DNA was a match to Stephen. There was no evidence found in the room that matched Lucas's DNA, however. So Stephen admitted that he had assaulted Katie, but only after Lucas... And this was only because Lucas had threatened to kill him if he did not. Seeing as there was not much evidence to convict Lucas, authorities offered Stephen a plea deal where Stephen pled guilty to all charges including murder, rape, sodomy, arson, robbery, complicity to commit crime, excuse me, commit robbery, and complicity to commit rape. In ex- yeah, Shit. a laundry list of things. In exchange, Stephen would not receive the death penalty for these charges, and Stephen would testify against Lucas. In his trial, Stephen claimed Lucas forced him to rape Katie, and under Lucas's direction, sprayed hairspray and lit Katie on fire. But he had previously stated that Luke was one the one who had burned Katie alive. So, his story changes fairly often, even while on stand. However, there was no evidence to convict Lucas. Everything was hearsay. This is all just what Stephen claimed. So, he was released. Meanwhile, Stephen was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. And pretty much Lucas, I mean, he kind of continued to have a life of crime, but he's, for the most part, kind of dropped off the face of the earth. So we don't really know what's happened to him. But now you're, you may be asking, Sydney, 
this crime happened in 2002. How is this a new crime? Well, I'm going to tell you. So, if you have Hulu, a new series is coming out called Death in Dorms, and I have been wanting to watch it. It will premiere on the 5th. So, for me and Taylor, it will will be tomorrow. Tomorrow. But if you're listening to this on Friday, it will have been yesterday. And uh, I believe it is like episode... I want to say I've been I've been brought a puppy <laughs> oh no um, it's a chicken nugget yeah no, she's a wild girl um but I think it's episode <laughs> 6 um but yeah so that's I hopefully you know, we get some more clarity now that this. Yes. Now that this is coming out. Um, but also just kind of tell her story because I feel like she was a girl who had a bright future and it was just very much cut short. Oh, yeah. I, um. I see this show right here. I definitely want to watch that. And yes, hers is episode six. Um, I hadn't heard about it, but I'll be watching that. Maybe Brand- me and Brandon can watch it together. Yeah. But yeah. And the, the series covers a couple different cases on various campuses mm-hmm. across the United States. So, you know. Well, let me know if you watch it and uh, if there's any cases that catch your eye. I will definitely be watching it. Um, but thank you for that story. I've heard that story before. Um, but I had forgotten how it ended. And the fact that they they burned her. Um, first off, that's awful. Um, and did they think that they were going to be able to do that in a dorm? And like not get caught? Or like have like not have somebody like notice? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, Also, I mean, it's awful just by itself that you would do that to somebody. But the fact that she was still alive when they burnt her is even worse. Like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and the fact that she didn't die until like three days later. Mm -hmm. Awful. I mean, I'm sure that she was, like, in a medically induced coma and all that, but it was definitely painful as mm-hmm. it happened. Yeah, but that is uh, the story of Katie Autry and um, her terrible murder and the assholes who did it. Wow. Wow. That was really uplifting. Thank you for that. You know, I try to do what I can. That, that was my New Year's resolution, just to be more upbeat. <laughs> Um, I have something slightly uplifting, um, and not really uplifting, but kind of funny. Um, so at Christmas, I kind of told Sydney this, but I just sent it over text. So I was sitting at Christmas with my family. Um, I was at my dad's side of the family and in the middle of a bunch of conversations, my uncle goes, Oh, Taylor, I got to tell you this right now before I forget. And I was like, okay. He goes, your podcast is awesome. And I was like, Oh no. 
Um, apparently, my cousin Brianna, Bri, if you're listening to this, hi. Um, Ronnie, if you're listening to this, hi. You get a shout out. Um, but apparently, when they moved her from Florida to California, they listened to our podcast during their journey. And I was mortified. My family was like, what? I didn't know you did a podcast. I was like, yeah, that was on purpose. And they were like, oh, how often do you do it? And my uncle was like, come on, Taylor, show it to him. And he, was, he, he literally was told him, he was like, when you got some time to just sit down, you ain't got nothing else to think about. You just sit down and listen to him. He kept saying, her and that other girl, they just talk and they they laugh. And I was just like, please. And then my grandma goes, how do, you, how do I get it on my phone? Will you, will you put it on my phone for me? And I was like, mm-hmm, sure. And then my dad was like, put, put it on my phone. I want it on my phone too. And I was like, awesome. Um, Ronnie, if you're listening, I gen- genuinely appreciate the um, the listens, but it was hilarious to me. But uh, then it was funny because he was like, I remember the one you did. I loved it. It was, it was about a family who watched porn together. And I was like, what? I could not remember it. And then my stepmom was like, dang, it's pretty bad if you can't remember how many episodes you've done about a family who might have watched porn together. And then he kept talking. And then I was like, I was trying to remember. I did finally remember it. Um, but yes, we have a really good fan. Um, it kind of mortified me at the time. But you know what? I'm grateful for the fans, even if they come from my family. Um, I told them that, you know, I might I might talk about them on here um, as I just did. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it was pretty hilarious. Uh, but now my whole family knows about this podcast. So Cats out the Great. bag. I mean, nothing, not, I, I mean, I appreciate the listen, but nothing tops when Mm -hmm. we first started doing this podcast and my dad was so excited. He made me sit next to him while he listened to the first episode. And every time we, every every time we said a cuss word, he was like, I uh, couldn't do it. Look, my mom was the only one that knew we did it, like, out of my, like, family. Obviously, other than Brandon. Um, because I knew she wouldn't listen to it because she likes she true crime, but she hates chat. when they banter Thanks, with each Vicky. other. So, she would never, ever listen. Yeah. So, I'm like, yeah, I'll tell you about it. Um, because I know she'll never listen. But anyways, Sydney's yeah, having a crisis with the chicken nuggets. She's got the zoomies all of a sudden. It's 10 o'clock at night. She needs to go to bed. I'm about to play it's the favorite time to zoom. It's zoomy it's the hour. Favorite time to zoom. Um, so I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go quickly. Um, because she's about to destroy <laughs> this room and she's about to bite my toes off. Um, but Taylor, Taylor, quickly before we go, tell the folks <laughs> no. what's our theme for next week. Um, uh, our theme for next week is mediums and psychics. So, you know, something like the Long Island medium, um, could be. So, yeah, mediums, uh, follow us on our socials, Instagram, Twitter, uh, join our Facebook group, um, follow Sydney's food Instagram, the dog, the chicken nugget that is causing a ruckus is featured. Um, follow my, uh, crochet Instagram. I'm going to be putting out, well, I'm making myself some tiny mushroom garland uh to hang on my mantle so we'll see what it looks like when it's done yeah let us know keep us updated i might have to put an order in for that yeah 
I hope it's cute. It's looking cute so far. I've made three tiny mushrooms so far. <laughs> oh, that's kind of cute as hell. Are they the magic mushrooms that make reindeer fly? They are. I mean, they are the red ones with the little white spots, so. Oh, God. That looked <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, she's getting rowdy. Um, well, thank you all for listening. Um, send prayers as I, <laughs> as I <laughs> wrestle this poodle. Um, <laughs> um, please remember to stay weird. Goodbye. Goodbye.